The Lord truly has been speaking to us, and we've been under this theme of resurrection since Easter, amen? Under the theme, jars of clay, resurrection as a new way of life, and so we're going to continue that. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 27, we have it on the screens for you. If you're following along in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 27, and then we'll be reading to the end of the chapter, which is verse 31. We read this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the church says, amen. Look at this. Now you are Christ's body. Now you are Christ's body. And each of you, not some of you, not a few of you, not the special ones, not the cute ones, the pretty ones, each of you is a member of it. And now look at verse 28, very important. And God has placed, look, in the church. Even before we read what he's about to list, Let's pause. And God has placed. And God has placed in the church. Isn't that beautiful? This could be really beautiful when a church, look, allows God to place. So more than it is about us picking, more than it is about us choosing, what needs to happen is that God is placing in the church. And now here the Apostle Paul is going to go through a list of spiritual gifts. We have come to describe them as spiritual offices within the body of Christ. And we're not going to get into all those details today, um, but I want us to capture this, and God has placed them. It's not that we created them. Look, we did not even imagine them to be, but God has placed. Now let's read them. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then, miracles. Gifts of healing. Look at this. This is so awesome. Helps. Have you ever interpreted someone's service of help as something that God has placed in support of the whole community? How many of, how many of us have just disregarded all the help? More than it coming from a loving brother or sister, God has placed it in his church helps, gifts of leadership, different kinds of tongues, and then now verse 29. Not all are apostles, are they? Not all are prophets, are they? Not all are teachers, are they? Not all perform miracles, do they? Not all have gifts of healing, do they? Not all speak in tongues, do they? Not all interpret, do they? But you, we should be eager for the greater gifts. And I'll explain what Paul means later on. And now, I will show you a way 
that is beyond comparison. How beautiful. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the grace that you have given to all of us, Lord. Father, thank you for the salvation, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the great sacrifice of your son to shed his blood, to pardon our sin so that we can have peace with you, our Father, Lord. Father, today I pray a special blessing over all of us, not just mothers in this room, but fathers, our children, Lord, brothers and sisters, our community, Lord. Father, I pray for a blessing of unity in our midst, Lord. May your spirit guide us as a church community. May you in every desire, Lord, in every thought, Lord. May your spirit, Lord, flow through us, Lord. May your spirit be the one that gives us vision, Lord. May it be your spirit, Lord, that gives us insight. May our knowledge not come from self and pride, but may our knowledge come and our closeness and nearness to you, Lord. Father, I pray that all of us would have a beautiful, a real and an incredible revelation of who you are and your love to save us sinners, Lord. So, Father, we pray that today is also a day of salvation, Lord. May the gospel go forward today, Lord. And may that same gospel, Lord, that saves sinners be the same gospel that keeps believers standing strong in their faith, Lord. Father, we thank you for today. We pray all of this in Jesus' beautiful and mighty, powerful name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. You guys may be seated. I want to preach to you over the next few minutes from the theme of resurrection of his church. All right, now to be sure that we all got that, I'm going to invite you to tell that to your neighbor. Whisper in their ear, if that's not too creepy. <laughs> if not, just, you know, from a distance. <laughs> uh, I thought that out after I told you to do it. A resurrection of his church. Amen? One more time. Resurrection of his church. And so since Easter, if you haven't been coming here uh, so you don't feel lost, we've been speaking about this theme of jars of clay, and where our theme scripture comes from, uh, the second letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, these newer believers in Christ, they've received the gospel message, uh, and they've been following the Lord for a couple of years now, but how many people know you could be serving the Lord for many years and still trying to catch on to we'll say your salvation, still trying to settle with God, still trying to discover uh, who the Lord is. And that is a lifelong journey, amen? And so regardless, maybe if you've been serving the Lord for 20 years, anyone in here serving the Lord for 20 years, that would be so awesome. Amen. Look, Pastor Tanya, hand is up. Brother Will, Maria, Sister Naomi, Brother Varian. I know they would still tell you that they're still discovering the Lord, Amen. And so uh, that's nothing to be intimidated by, the journey to know the Lord. What becomes frustrating is 
when you realize that you are struggling to be the Lord's son or the Lord's daughter. And so then we wrestle. But the pursuit to discover the Lord is a beautiful thing, and it's a journey that we're all on. If someone tells you they have discovered who God is and they have ceased, and now they are the new guru of the Lord, uh, don't believe them. (laughs) Don't believe them. We're all in a beautiful journey. And so what is frustrating, right, when you're wrestling to be the child of God, when you're wrestling to be the son and the daughter of the Lord? This is true throughout history for all Christians, this is true for, for you and me. There are places in my life when, and at different moments in my life where I wrestle to know who I am as a child of God, as a son of God. Ultimately, what we're wrestling with is being and living in the new creation. That is what I'm wrestling with. Because look, in Christ, the Apostle Paul would tell these Corinthians that, look, all things have become new. The old is gone. And so the Corinthians, look, are wrestling just like you and I with being the new creation that they have in Christ. So if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Now, you've been serving the Lord for 20 years, Brother Varian, but you are still a new creation. Pastor Tanya, you've been serving the Lord for over 20 years, but you are a new creation. How many people in here feeling old? (laughs) once you get to 30 go for a three mile run and you'll know that age is catching up we were on a run yesterday I'm like yeah I'm old but I'm trying praise the Lord but here's the beautiful thing about being in Christ you can be serving him a long time you can feel old in that journey but you must always know that you're still new in Christ. New in Christ. And so physically I'm getting older, but I'm still new in Christ. And so what are the Corinthian church wrestling with? Well, we know what they're wrestling, at, wrestling with based upon what the Apostle Paul has written to them. So we have gotten literally a sneak peek And I'm not sure if they would like to know that their business is so publicly known, but it's been known for now 2,000 years. They're wrestling. They're wrestling. And that's hard, too, when your wrestling is public. But but their wrestling has been made public and it's been preserved through these letters. But at the same time, look, the Apostle Paul loves them as humans and he loves them in their new creation. That when he writes to them, and it is public, it's literally, this is a letter that would have been written out loud. I mean, read out loud. And so in the letters that we have, we will see sometimes encouragement, praise, good job here. But in the letters, we will also read where he is correcting them. But he's correcting them out of love. He is disciplining them. Disciplining out of love. This is is a good principle that when we love people, when we love our children, we do not not correct them. We do not not discipline them for fear that they might misinterpret that we love them. No, the evidence of our love for them is that, look, we correct, we discipline, but we also encourage, and we do that in a godly manner. 
This doesn't mean that when our children fail, you take a table and slam it over their back. That's not godly discipline. Even the Apostle Paul would say, how we discipline is very important. Look, don't, don't, don't cause your children to anger and to stumble. And so the Corinthian church, yes, they're struggling, but what we get is a lot of encouragement. A lot of encouragement. And encouragement to what? To encourage them into the new creation that they have. Look, when we trust the Lord, you are positioned as a son and a daughter of Christ. When you come to Christ and you, you, you acknowledge him, you acknowledge and you, we, uh, we repent of our sin and we accept the blood that covers that sin, we're in the position of a redeemed creation of Christ. And so now the tension that you and I have is, how do I live out the position that I am? And so when we act a fool, we have to remind ourselves that I am a child of God, I am a son of God, I'm a daughter of God. And so in Paul's letter, though we get a lot of the business, we see a lot of encouragement. Now last week, we spoke about honoring the resurrection. How do we honor the resurrection? Just to recap last week in one sentence, we honor the Lord and we want honor each other. Why? Not because we have to, but because we love. I honor the Lord because I love the Lord. And look, we honor each other because we love one another. Now, some of us, if we're honest, like, I really don't love everybody in here. Sure, that's the tension. The tension is that the old us does not love everyone in here. Well, rightfully so. We don't know everyone, so how could I love someone that I know that that is the natural world, but look in Christ. Then we're we learn about the realities that we're one in Christ. Look, and that even though I don't know you, there's something common about all of us humans. That we're weak. That we fail. That we all do have some sense of morality, but even that morality is not enough to preserve human life, and to truly care and honor and love one another. And so, look, in that humanity, we become prideful. We become angry. We become bitter. We have rage. We have jealousies. We have prides about us. That is what's true. So, look, in Christ, we're forgiven of those things. And, look, in Christ, we're given a precious gift. And this is what none of us can ever forget. Don't say yes to the Lord and think that the relationship revolves around coming to a church, building, or service. No, come to Christ and know this revolves around the Spirit of the Lord in you. And the Spirit of the Lord in you and in I is what makes us the new creation. And so I know yesterday I was horrible, but I said yes to Jesus last night. And I know that might not sound legit, but yes, I am new today. You are new today. We're new. And look, and the scriptures teach us that we're one. And so the way how I honor, look, the resurrection is that I honor the Lord and that I honor you. Now what happens if I love God and I love this message of Jesus, but I am the person that I take the position, but I hate all of you. These are all rotten, fake Christians. You guys are phony. You guys fail. 
And sometimes, rightfully so, we're gravely offended. And so we do thank the Lord for the scriptures that call us, look, to work that out. And God has, look, God himself has placed things in the church to work that out. God has placed things in the church to help us in unity. God has placed things in the church to grow us. God has placed things in the church to help me personally with my wretchedness so that I can honor and love you and stop offending you. God has placed things in the church. But that begins with us knowing that God has placed something inside all of us. And what's in all of us is the same. This is the treasure that is in the jars of clay. And this is how we then all share, and this is how we all can be united. It's on the foundation of, yes, your hair is different. Your hair is short. <laughs> My hair is long. No, mine's not. My hair's short, and your hair's long. I'm holding on to mine. Lord, send the help. Praise the Lord. Send the help. Um, and so this is what we talked about last week, correct? The differences. And those differences are beautiful. We appreciate them here at the Dwelling Place Church. But what unites us and what makes us share, what, what, what is the starting point for us to have real unity is that what did God do? He's poured his spirit in each and every one of us. And it's not a different spirit. Now, I know I may have been more wretched and at times more ratchet than some of y'all, but it was the same spirit that saves the wretched or the ratchet. It's the same it's the same saving spirit. Now, sure, some of us need it, or we might have feel that we needed a greater grace depending on our great falls. And yes, great falls require great grace, but all of us share in the same love and grace of the Lord. And so, yes, different in every kind of way, not just physically, but in upbringings and experiences and different pasts, different traumas, different hurts, different falls. But the beautiful thing about the one Lord is that it's his one spirit that's poured in all of us. And then that unifies us. And so then how do we honor, how do I honor the resurrection of God's great grace towards my life? I honor the resurrection of your life that I'm not so tunneled vision about just what God has poured into my vase that I, don't, that I can't appreciate it, nor can I see the great grace that he's poured into you. And so, that's, and so that's beautiful. And so now what did we read? Now we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we followed up from last week. We, we read the verses before last week, and where, what Paul was trying to explain, he was trying to get them, the Corinthian church, church who's wrestling, Right? They wrestled with pride. They wrestled with thinking that some of them were better than others. Now, the Corinthian church, they were spiritual, but they were carnal. Now, for some of us, those two worlds don't exist. But the Apostle Paul says, you're in Christ, but you're carnal. <laughs> he doesn't say that they're not Christians because of this, but he wants them to see, wake up. You have a profession of faith. You receive the forgiveness of the Lord. 
But the reality of your life is so far from that profession of faith. And he says, you are carnal Christians. And he, throughout his letter, basically is telling them, and the evidence of that is your action. Your action. A lot of us will look at someone and be like, that's not a Christian. Paul will say, it is just a carnal one. I don't know if it's any better. (laughs) I'm not saying it's any better, but he's not taking away. Look, the point is he doesn't then just kick them out. says, oh, carnal Christian, you no longer part of the family. That's what we do. (laughs) I've done this. Oh, he's, he's gravely offended me. That carnal Christian is no longer part of the family. This is a hypocrite to me. And she doesn't say hi to me. <laughs> and so it's easy, look, it's easy for me to be at peace with whoever I think is spiritual. Spiritual on my level, who gets it. And this is what Paul is, is afraid of. He, there are divisions in the church of Corinth. All it takes for us is to read a couple of chapters, and he's telling them, these divisions are not right. As a matter of fact, now we got these guys, and they're laughing over there, carnal Christians over there. And then, like, yeah, 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 Paul's a great apostle. He's like, wait a minute, I like Apollos. And now these two who are laughing at those carnal Christians, now this one's over here, and this one's over there. And what the Apostle Paul wants them to know, that's not on, this is not a picture of honoring the resurrection. This is not honoring the resurrection when, look, when we have offenses and then we just separate and then we're cool with them. And, and then I come to church and say, well, well, I like the pastor. I don't know about, you know, Pastor Daniel, but Pastor Ezekiel, so I, as long as I'm peace there, then I'm good. The Apostle Paul, if he wrote a letter to TDP Church in this century... Um, I'm not saying that's happening, but if that was a scenario, the Apostle Paul would write us a letter and our business might go public and it might be preserved for a thousand years to come and help another church 2,000 years later. <laughs> but this, the Apostle Paul says, this is not, this is not the resurrection. He says, there are divisions among you. He goes, and I believe it. They were divided over the Lord's Supper. They were divided because some of them were wealthy, other ones were poor. They were divided over men and women. It was, look, chaos, all of them in the same place on Sunday morning, but really not together. And so last week, I I actually appreciated the Dwelling Place Church. I appreciated you for making the efforts to do this. Well, I know you don't really like me, (laughs) and and, and I know I had this offense, and but this is not what I really meant, and I'm, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Not if I did something to offend you. That's the worst apology in the world. If I offended you, if. <laughs> I apologize because this, what I did, offended you. And then, here's some wisdom, follow that up with, that was not my intention, though I did this. And then you know what your brother does? Thank you for your apology. And now, and now look, they need to be with God so that they can ask now, look, this person needs the Lord to help them see their offense and ask God for wisdom to make peace. This person here needs to also be with the same Lord and seek him so that he can get down on the inside of himself and say, I forgive you and mean that. But that can only happen if the spirit is working in the offender and then the spirit is working in the offendee. And what happens if these guys can't get it together? You know what? 
God has placed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God has placed in the church. Not just people who sing really well and people who play pianos really well and people who dance really well. Those are needed for the edification of the church. But here, when you read Corinthians, this is chapter 12. There's only 16 chapters in this letter. What you, have, what you should start to notice is like, man, this place is a little bit crazy. I don't know if I want to be a member at the Corinthian church and join Team 7 over there. But what you start to see with Paul constantly correcting, constantly correcting, what you should start to notice is like, where's the leaders at? Where are the leaders? They have all this chaos. Is it possible because he hasn't addressed any leaders yet? You know what's so interesting? From reading the letters, it doesn't appear that there's a clear leader in the church of Corinth. And so after when we get to 12 and he's trying to tell them, listen, the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet. And, 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 and all of us, all of, we need to honor one another. We need to honor one another. That's what he's doing. Then he concludes the chapter with what we read. Let's read it one more time now. And I believe it makes perfect sense because they're having so many problems. You know, they're stepping on each other. They're looking down on one another. There's so many divisions. There's a lot of... Uh, they're missing the mark in many ways as children in the new creation. And he has to check them on it. And he has to tell them, what's up? You guys, can't, you guys need to be able to judge these matters. But it doesn't seem to be a clear leader. And so when we read the verses that we read, understanding this picture of where's the leadership, he concludes chapter 12. Chapter 12 for us. There were no chapters in these scrolls. Okay, no verses either. But he kind of concludes his thought, this thought summary, what we have as the concluding verses of chapter 12. He says this, now you are Christ's body. You see it? Not some of you. We are Christ's body. You are Christ's body. And each of you is a member in it. Look, how, that's true for the Corinthian church, but that's true for us today. That's true for believers. He goes, you are Christ's body and each of you is a member of it. That should be reassuring to those who feel not part of it because maybe, oh, I'm not the preacher in front. I'm not the prophet in the front. I'm not the one with the special revelation. We talked about this last week. Each of you is a member of the body of Christ. Look, and then he goes on to say, and God has placed in his church first apostles. Now, there's a huge context to this, and so we're not really going to get too into it. That'll be a Bible study. But look what he says, first apostles. What is important? That it was the apostles who were commissioned, the, the 12 disciples who then became the 12 apostles. Obviously, uh, Judas dies, commits suicide, and then they actually replace him. So then there are 12 men as apostles, right? Jesus commissions them. Look, they are commissioned with the authorized message of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, this is in our Bibles, in our little subheadings that we've created to help us read, it's called the Great Commission. And so what does he tell them to do? Go out, share the gospel message to the ends of the world. Look, baptizing them in the name of what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes, teaching them to observe everything I have taught you. And so look, 
It's these 12 men who walked with Jesus, and then the apostle Paul himself has a separate revelation where Jesus reveals himself. The apostle Paul was persecuting, out trying to stop the mission of the apostles, you could say. And then he has an encounter with revelation with Jesus. And look, it changes everything. Look, he goes from being this persecutor to then stepping into a communicator, an ambassador of the gospel. So he has, look, he can literally see the line from his old to his new, right in front of him. And so they are the ones, these 12, including the apostle Paul, who has the commission, look, to share the message and to teach everything that Jesus has taught them. So, look, they're, they're preserving the gospel, and they're responsible to share it. So guess what happens when someone from the outside tries to come and say, that's not who Jesus is. Wouldn't, they like guard dogs. What do you mean? This is, you know? And so look, they're sharing the beautiful grace and look, the, the, what Jesus' blood did. Look, they're holding the message of the prophets. Pay attention. Look, they're holding the confirmation of the word of the prophets from years ago to say that Jesus, look, is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Now, when we see those words, Messiah, and you see Christ, you just need to know that you're looking at two different, one's a Hebrew word, one's a Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word, meaning the anointed one. Now, the Jewish people were waiting for the anointed one to bring total redemption. Now, when we read the word Christ, that's just the Greek word for guess what? You guys are so smart. When you read the word Christ, it's what? It's the Greek word of the Hebrew word, Messiah. So when we're reading Jesus Christ, what it is saying is Jesus, the Messiah. So the prophets are saying, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. Guess what happens? The apostles have a revelation that that Messiah is Jesus. So Jesus Christ, Christos, Jesus is the Messiah we've all been waiting for. And it's the apostles who are protecting this. So when others say, no, he's not the Christ, they say, yes, he is. He died, and then he got up. Go check the tomb. And if you don't believe that, well, you guys could have robbed the tomb. Well, the problem is everybody, 400, 500 people saw him. And then the apostle Paul has his own revelation to say, and he appeared to me. He appeared to Cephas, the 12, and then he appeared to 500, and then to me, least of them all. We have that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Apostle Paul is literally telling the Corinthian church, he revealed himself to me. And so look, the apostles are guarding. Because what would naturally happen the Jewish people who believe in a Messiah but did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah are going to come around to these new, to the people who believe that he was and then come around and say, no, you still got to live under the law. And so it's, look, it's the apostle's job to protect the gospel message and say, no, you're not bound to the law. There's this freedom, look, you've been freed in Christ. And this is where we get letters like, Galatians, it's the Apostle Paul fighting off. 
the Judaizers is what they're called because they're trying to tell those who had believed that no, they still have to keep the Jewish law. It's like, no, look, you've been loosed. You've been free. You're no longer bound. And so look, now when we read that passage again, he says, now you are Christ's body and each of you is a member of it. Look, and then he says this, and God has placed in the church first apostles. It makes sense in that context that he's placed in the apostles first because they are the ones responsible for the message first. Do you see that? Does that make sense? What if someone else comes other than those apostles and says, no, they're changing the message? No, 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 no. The apostle Paul is trying to reassure the Corinthians that the apostles, himself included, which throughout the letter he defends his apostleship with them, that he and the other apostles are the ones who are carrying the message of Jesus so, so you, we can't let someone else distort and, and lie and mess that up. So the apostles have to go first, but then what does he say? And second, the prophets. Why are the prophets important? Well, if this is talking about the Old Testament prophets, they're the ones who talked about the Christ that was to come. Now, if he's talking about modern-day prophets, they're still prophesying that Christ is the one that has come. So no matter how you slice which prophets they're talking about, the prophets are still affirming that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Third, teachers. Oh, you need teachers then <laughs> to support. And then, look, to sit down with people and to be able to teach that. For what? For the edification, to build them up, to make them strong in the faith that they have in Christ Jesus. Now, before we proceed with the rest, what's important here? He doesn't say, and the apostles made themselves apostles. He doesn't say that. I, you know, I made myself an apostle. He doesn't say Peter made him an apostle. He doesn't say that Peter made the 12 the apostle. He doesn't say that Peter made anyone anything. He doesn't say that he made anyone anything and that they placed themselves and they sat down and they talked about this and they had a long meeting and they concluded that they were the ones that were, you know, they were smart enough to do this and they were the ones that, you know, had it all together. No, he says God placed in the church them. He, he wants them to know that, look, it is, it is the Lord that places. Now, why they need to hear this? Because <laughs> it's like, I don't know, grab 20 kids, put them in a room, take all the parents out, and then say, good luck. <laughs> when you come back two hours later, the kingdom that you find in there will be built. But I'm not sure how all the kids are going to look in there. It, something will be built in there. How many people have children? Two or three of them. And, and, you, and you leave them to play. Right? You leave them to play. You come back, you know, you come back, you know, two hours later. You check in on them one hour later. Something's built in that room. There's something in the human nature, a fort, a castle. Now you had three kids in there when you left. The problem when you return, two of them are in charge. And one of them is at the higher end. And the third other one is... He's turned into their enemy. He's tied up in the closet somewhere. There's a toy stuffed in his mouth. One of them's crying for you to come and save the day. And so in one sense, you're proud that they try to build something. The problem is that they did it without the right kind of leadership in place. 
And so now if you would have stood in the room, right, or when we do stay in the room for two hours with them and we help them build their kingdoms and their empires, we do that to the best kind of way and we try to delegate their responsibilities and we give this one a part, we give that one a part, and then we tell them, you're all kings or you're all princesses, right? We try to let them feel a sense of belonging, have some kind of responsibility and authority there, but you try to lead them and guide them so that when they go to try to take advantage of one another, you stop them immediately and say, no, this is not how we're going to play. This is not how the kingdom works in my house. And you want them to know that they, are, they're, that they are your children and they can build, but you are at the top. You are the king, dad. Mom, you are the queen, right? And look, they can only build upon what you allow, your principles, the values of your home. No, we're not going to tie your brother up for the next three hours because it's fun. You are not the enemy. Well, guess what kind of room Paul steps back into? Many of them are tied up. Many of them have their empires. There's not just one beautiful fort built up. There's like four different ones in there, and they're at war with one another. And the apostle Paul says, this is not how it works. But here's what he gets to say. It's not on the basis. He doesn't even say it's my kingdom. He says, this is not the Lord's kingdom. And so then he has to remind them, but I am, he's included in the apostles who God has placed to give them order. This is why church leadership is so important. Leadership of his church is so important. The spiritual leadership of a church is so important. And so for months and months we've been praying and we've invited you guys to pray Look, pray for the leadership that already exists in the dwelling place, church. Look, so God could show us who else he has placed. And you can keep that slide up for me. So, so God can show us who he wants to place. And so just several weeks ago, we were able to share with you that Brother Matt and Lindsay were new deacons of the church. You can still clap again. And more than that being about Pastor Ezekiel, Tanya, Pastor Daniel, and Pastor Lynn, more than that being about us deciding that, we feel that God chose and placed that. And so we want to invite you to keep praying. But the reason why we told you to keep praying was because we felt God was still showing us. And I said this last week. Today we're going to get to announce another deacon of our church. And we're going to announce another leader in the church. And what we want you to receive this as, God placing. Look, God placed apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, gifts of leadership, different kinds of tongues. And then he goes through this rhetorical questioning with them. Look, not all our apostles are they, and, and we're supposed to say no. In some translation it says, are all apostles? No. Some are. But not all are, and that's okay, and he wants them to get that. Are all of them prophets? No, and that's okay, and he wants them to get that. Are all of them teachers? No, and that's okay. He wants them to get that, and so on and so forth. What is he trying to get them to understand? He wants them to know that everybody has something, 
but nobody has everything. Everyone has something, but nobody has everything. Why? Because no one person is the totality of the body of Christ. Where he's being redundant about over and over again. And maybe you're like, Pastor, I get the point already. I'm part of the body of Christ. I get it. (laughs) What he's emphasizing over and over and over and over again is that you all, y'all, y'all, are Christ's body. And again, at the very top line, and each of you is a member. So everyone does have something. In chapter 14, that we'll read maybe next week or the week after, he says when you come together, you all have something to give. Imagine if we changed our mentality to that, that I'm part of the body of Christ and I have something to give. That's a breakthrough. Because believe it or not, there's a lot of Christians who they come to church to see something. I'm coming to see something. Or what might not be as bad, but could be bad, I'm coming just to receive something. Now, we're all supposed to receive something, obviously first at the top coming from the Lord, but it's through one another. But it's a problem when we think or we get stuck into the cycle where we just come and then we water, please, with lemons. Lemons, please, water. No ice. Yes, I'll take an appetizer. Soup for me, salad for my wife. <laughs> Some of us literally do this. Fast song, please, TDP worship. Fast song for me, slow song for her. I'll take the main course. I want a preaching, I want the spirit, and I want a prophecy. I'll t- and, I'll, and, I, and I want that on a discount, too. Any, you come in with coupons, redeemable coupons. Now, I'm not saying that we do this intentionally, but it could be a vicious cycle that many of us are in. One is like, look, this, is, this could maybe help us to see, am I stuck in that cycle? When I go, I hope it's good. I hope they sing good. I hope they preach good. I hope I get a word. I, and, and so that when I leave, I'm full. That's the same thing we say when we go to a restaurant. I hope at a restaurant, I hope I get my money's worth. I hope I can eat as much and invest as little as possible, and I'm coming with my coupons to redeem even the discount off the appetizers that are already on sale. This is the person that walks into the church. I hope it's really good. But look, I'm not making, I'm not making no investment into any relationships with nobody because they're all hypocrites. I'm not going to talk to nobody. But then demand that everyone performs really well. And if they don't, don't think I'm tipping. I'm, oh, going to missions again, Pastor Daniel? You be, you're going to, missions again? Another car we need to build up? Another outreach event that we got to donate to? Just slide in, slide out. This is, I'm not saying anyone is necessarily doing this, but I think this is good for us to make sure that that's not something that the demonic powers and forces of darkness are 
trying to get us into that. That's a terrible, that's not just a terrible way to do church. That's a terrible way to think you are going to experience the new creation. And so what he wants them to know is, hey, when we're here, even if you're not assigned to sing, even if you're not assigned to cameras or to the kids' ministry or to, you have something. You have something. And so this is why at the Dwelling Place Church, we don't want when the service is over, you, you dip. I mean, sometimes you have to. Maybe today's the day where we license everyone to dip. I, I got to dip and there's a, I got to change and do something. That's okay. But in proper context, some of us are dipping not because we don't have the time. We're dipping because we don't want no part and no investment. We just want to be full, but we don't want to leave anything. That's not the way to do church. We're a family. And you know what? We celebrate. I'm going to celebrate when God does bring an apostle. I'm going to celebrate when God is lifting up my brother or my sister as a prophet. I'm going to applaud that. I'm going to celebrate when the Lord is using and going to bring up another brother or sister in leadership. When God is appointing someone to gifts of help. The service of a deacon, that is all we celebrate. Why? Because at the end of the day, if our hearts are right, that is us celebrating so that then, look, we can all then feed one another through the Spirit of the Lord. But then if we all have something to give, look, I can preach and I could be tired, and then I can pray for people and I could be tired. It is exhausting spiritually. It's exerting yourself. But how beautiful it is when I have a brother or a sister come to me. And no lie, just appreciate me, thank me. That starts to fill me, that starts to comfort, that starts to nourish. So even those little words of appreciation to your pastors, to your other leaders, to your fellow volunteers, to your just brother and sister in the Lord, so happy that you're here to see them. This is why we do it for, I'm forcing meet and greets to subconsciously try to get the church to just appreciate one another because that does something for some people. For some people just to come, finally come into a place and be acknowledged for their humanity. We have no idea if they're being absolutely neglected in their home. We have no idea if they're completely excluded in their workplaces. And then they're supposed to be coming here to the church. How terrible would it be if we didn't have a culture of genuine love and reaching out? Then for them to come here, watch people sing, look at screens, and then no one say anything to them. That would be the tragedy. And so look, the apostle Paul told them, and God placed this. So he wants them to know that it's not his church, it's God's church. It's not even his preference of leadership, it's God's preference of leadership. Now, did the apostle Paul just make this up? No. Do you know who made up the church? Do we know who made up the church? Some people think, oh, it's the, apost the apostles, they made up the church. Acts is, they, they, they made up the church. No, Jesus himself, look, prophetically birthed the church. Jesus spoke of the church first. And look, he put it in word, and then it became a reality as he authorized them to carry the message and to teach what he taught. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus gets to a point in his ministry, and I'm going to start to close now. And, and, and Jesus uh, told his disciples, he, or he asked them a question. He said, what are, who are they saying that I am? What are they saying about me? And so now the, the, the disciples respond, and then they're going to answer the question, and they're going to tell Jesus what is the word about who he is. 
So what happens? They start to just list. Some people say, you're Elijah, come back. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're, because there was the belief in the Jewish community that the prophet Elijah, he had ascended up. He never died, so he was going to come back. And they're like, the word on the street is you could be him. They're like, the word of the street is you could be John the Baptist who died. And so, and, and so they just start listing all these prophets. Jesus says, but who do you say I am? That's the word on the street. But who do you say I am? And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, we see something very profound happen. In verse 15, it says this, And he said to them, And who do you say that I am? This is important too. It's important that we know what people think about God. Ultimately, it's important who do you think Jesus is. And so he says, Who do, who do you say that I am? And look, Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, he says, you are the what? Christ in Greek, in Hebrew would be what? You guys are so smart. A thousand points to everyone who answered. A thousand fake points on Mother's Day. Praise the Lord. Redeem those later on. Uh, look, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, look, what a great, what a, Wait, what happened? Uh, John the Baptist. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ. Peter's you are the you are the one that the prophets were speaking about. The Son of the Living God. And so what does Jesus do? He pronounces a blessing. You are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, speaking to Peter. And then he says this. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. What he's saying is flesh and blood meaning humanity. Someone else didn't whisper in Peter's ear and give him the answer like, hey, it's Christ. Humans were not saying that Jesus was the Messiah. So it wasn't revealed. The word on the street is at the most he's a prophet come back from the dead. But the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Then Peter has the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Or it comes into, wow, he, he sees it now. After these years of walking with Jesus and seeing his words and seeing his miracles and seeing his teachings, it come, the revelation comes and he's able to declare, you are the Christ. And then look what happens. And then Jesus continues, he goes in verse uh, 18, he continues and says, and I tell you that you are Peter, look, and on this rock I will build what? My church. My church. On this rock I will build my church. So the first one to speak about church is not the Apostle Paul a couple of decades later to the Corinthians. The first one to mention a church is Jesus. And at the time, there's only 12 of them. And one of them we know is a traitor. Peter himself is going to deny him. Thomas is going to doubt him. And they're all going to run. So you really can't call them the church. They're disciples. They're men who have left and forsaken. And they're carrying their cross to try to follow Jesus. So Jesus, we could say, prophetically births the church. But on what? He says, and upon this rock I'm going to build it. Well, what is the rock? Well, some have said that, well, Peter must be the rock because Peter is the one who said it. And Peter's name translates to rock. And so for some people, like, well, P Peter's the rock that he's going to build a church on. 
And so in church history, Peter does become a leader of a church. And so there's a lot of credit being given to Peter that Jesus is talking about Peter. But there's also the idea and the thought out there, wait a minute, Peter, Peter's not the rock. The rock is the confession that Peter made. The confession that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. And so for many people, that's more compelling. Because think about it. Is Jesus literally going to build a church on another human? It's funny, right after this, Jesus tells him, I have to go now to die. And then uh, Peter's like, no, you can't die. And then Jesus then calls him Satan. He doesn't last too many verses. <laughs> Within four verses, he's no longer the rock that Jesus is building the whole church on. So it's more compelling to me that Peter is not the rock that he's building the church on, but Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. And so look at this. Wait, you mean to tell? It makes so much more sense. On people's confession, from one confession of Peter, then another confession of another apostle, then throughout the centuries, people confessing Christ, not confessing Peter. I didn't confess myself to Peter. Later on, the apostle Paul would tell the Corinthians church, this is not about me, Apollos, nor Peter. So we, they, humans can't be the rock that Jesus is building the church on. It can only be that the, that the thing that is building the church is the confession that Christ Jesus is the Lord. Look, he says, I will build my church, and he says, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Well, what is Hades? Sometimes this is translated as hell in our Bibles. More specifically, so it is Hades is a proper translation. Hades was known to these people as the realm of the dead. It's death. You, you, when you die, you enter Hades. Hades holds everyone who dies, okay? So when we die, then we go through the gates of Hades, and now death has us. Hades has us. We have come to call it hell, but the better translation is Hades. It's the realm of the dead. So look what Jesus says. Upon this rock, what rock? Not Peter, the confession that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and what? And I will build my church, and look, and death will not prevail. Why? Because later on, those that are in Christ, though they die, they resurrect. So the gates of Hades, death cannot hold us. But here's the most beautiful thing. It's not just for the afterlife. It's even now. Death can't hold you now. Sin and death can't hold you down. Look, yes, your old self is dead in sin, but even that death, the sin of death, the sting of death, that even loses its power in Christ Jesus. So look, now, 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 the old is gone, the new has come. We are resurrected now in Christ Jesus. So look, the death of Hades is losing now, and it's going to lose later on too. Upon what? Not upon Peter, not upon Paul, upon the confession, your personal confession. We cannot hang on the tailcoats of the church for our salvation. I can't hold on to my mother's confession that Christ is the Lord. I need to make the confession that Christ is Lord. Your parents can't do that for you. Your church can't do that for you. You can't hold on to your pastor's faith, the youth leader's faith. You need to hold on to the profession that Christ is Lord. And what does Jesus do? He promises that the church is going to live. The church is going to look. And when we physically die, then we're going to resurrect. There's a resurrection for now, and there's a resurrection that is promised to all that die in Christ. He talks about that in Thessalonians. We don't, this, we don't mourn like the world mourns, who mourn without a hope. When we mourn, we mourn lost. But look, 
We have hope in life because what? The gates of Hades will not prevail. Not now and not later on. And then he goes on to say, and I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Look, whatever you bind on earth will, be, will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Now, a lot of people, how many people have seen this in art? Peter, the apostle Peter, with the keys. Some of us have seen this in, in art, more so ancient art. You see the apostle Peter with a bunch of keys because Jesus is speaking to Peter here, and then he tells him, you know, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. This is where we get the imagery from that when you go to heaven, who's at the door waiting to let you in or out? To tell you, come on in, or tell you, you got to get out of here. Who's there? Who's there? The apostle Peter in this, you know, in this imagination. He's there. Why? Because he got the big old bulky pirate keys in his, you know, on his side. And Jesus tells him, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Look, whatever you bind is going to be bound. Whatever you loose is going to be loose. Now, I want you guys to be careful because many of us over-spiritualize something. Okay? We over-spiritualize something that's in the proper context that has great significance and value. Now, the term binding and loosing is not new to these people. This was a very common phrase and understanding in Jewish thought. And I'm going to read it to you. Binding and loosing, pay attention, were administrative terms in daily Jewish life. So when Jesus says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom, and he starts talking to them about binding and loosing, they have a point of reference. Jesus is not making up binding and loosing, but he's taking a current understanding. Look, he's taking law to bind was to put under the law their regular sense which any jew would recognize was to allow and to forbid to bind something was to, to declare it forbidden to loose was to declare it allowed these were the regular phrases for taking decisions in regard to the law now who had the keys of god's kingdom at the time in their minds, these Jewish men, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the lawmakers, they're the ones who have the power that when someone, look, when someone broke a law, then they, 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 they took that person, they held up against the law, and said, this person is bound to it, guilty, and now maybe there's going to be a penalty for that. Or they take that person, hold it up to the law, they had that idea, understanding the law of Moses, that you can't just bring an accusation against someone with nothing, so you need to get witnesses. This is where we start reading, and we learn about two or three witnesses. That's important for this same principle. You can't bind someone to the law without having any evidence. So this is why when the woman was caught in adultery, it was a bunch of men coming together, and then they throw, look, it says, they threw the woman in Jesus' face and then they threw the law back on him and they said, what do you say? They're holding her up against the law. There's more than two or three witnesses in this case. And now they say, Jesus, what do you say we do with the woman? Well, according to what they thought, 
he has to, he has to bind her. She's guilty, and according to the law, she has to pay the penalty of death. But they also knew they were going to trap him because if he says, oh, just let her go, oh, he's loosing her from the law. But that wouldn't be right either. And so what does Jesus do? He looks at the woman, he looks at the law, and then he gets down and he starts writing on the ground. He writes on the ground. Now, I learned about this not too long ago. Always been fascinated, what did Jesus write? I mean, this has been going on for centuries. What is Jesus writing? What is he writing? Is he writing amazing grace, you know? Is he writing Psalm 23 again? We don't know what he wrote. But who was the first person to write the law? When you go back into the book of Exodus, and I know you watched it because we have been doing through the Bible study, God himself went up into the mountain, and the Bible tells us this, that he inscribed the law on stone with what? His own finger. But now Jesus is coming, and they're throwing the same law in his face, and now Jesus, just like God the Father, is inscribing something on the ground with his own finger. And what is he going to do? When he gets up and he speaks, he says, let the person who was without sin cast the first stone. So what did Jesus do with the law? Did he disregard it? Did he break it? He brought a reality of understanding to the law. And you know what he did? They were like, here's the woman. Here's the law. And they're standing there with their keys. What do you say, Jesus? He said, the person who was out sin, throw the first stone. It says, one by one, they had to drop their, you know what they had to drop to? Not just the rock, they had to drop their keys. They had to drop their keys. They could not administer what to do properly. My boy Jesus said, jingles. <laughs> and then in Matthew chapter, I believe it's 24, someone correct me, this big woe to those leaders. You know what he's rebuking them for? For not knowing how to administer the keys of God's kingdom. They have the law of God, but they have mismanaged it. And so he's taking the keys back from them. And you know what he says? To his church, to his believers, to Peter, to the apostles. He's entrusting us with the keys. So we can properly bind and loose people according to scriptures and so this is what this is why the church also needs good leadership so that we can properly bind and loose look hold judge matters within the church the apostle paul wants them to look so that when a brother or sister is in offense or in sin we come to them with the keys and and and, and look we speak to our brother we speak to our sister and say this is not what God has for you. We have to repent for this. We have to turn from this. We're doing that with the keys of the kingdom. When we bless someone and we encourage them, we're doing so with the keys of the kingdom. And so what we have to be sure is that while we now have the keys of the kingdom, that we administer that well. And this is what we're trying to do as a church. Let me read one verse, and then we have some awesome announcements. But what did Peter think about this? Did Peter think that he was the rock? I don't know. Maybe Peter himself here and it could have been like, oh, maybe I am the rock. And then the next minute he's being called Satan. 
But now a couple of decades later, Peter would write now as an apostle and leader of the church. And you know what Peter would say? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 2, this is what Peter would write himself. I believe this is also confirmation that Peter knows, or eventually he learned, that the foundation, he was not it. He's part of the building. He's part of the fortress, but he is not the centerpiece. He's not, look, in their context, the cornerstone, but only one is. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 says, he goes, as you come to him. Now, this is Peter writing to other believers. As you come to him, look what Peter says, the living stone. Not as you come to me, the living stone. Not as you come to me, the rock upon which the church of God is built. He goes, oh, as you come to him, the living stone. Look, rejected by humans, but look, chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual praises acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, and then he quotes the prophet Isaiah, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So for the Apostle Peter, we are the living stones, but the cornerstone is Christ. The Apostle Paul would say this to the Ephesians church in verse 19. He goes, so then you are no longer foreigners, foreigners and non-citizens, but look, you are fellow Christians with the saints and members of God's household because you have been built, look, on the foundation of what? The Apostles, the Prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, in Christ, in Jesus, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together, look how beautiful, into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So how do we conclude this? We conclude this with understanding this, that this church is not first Pastor Ezekiel and Tanya's. This, first, this, this church first does not belong to Pastor Daniel, Pastor Michael and Sarai, who left New York and started everything. This church doesn't belong to Pastor Linda and her children first, who were the first members here. This church doesn't belong to, you know, to deacons Josh and Jen, who were some of the first people to leave New York to come and help us. First and foremost, this church belongs to Christ Jesus. He, Jesus alone, is the cornerstone. Look, and our church will continue to be built into a spiritual house, into a holy temple, into a dwelling place. These are all the words that the apostles wrote. If what? If Christ Jesus remains the cornerstone, and how does he remain the cornerstone when we all keep our true confession of faith that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. And look, and so because it's his church, we can trust him to place. And so God then places the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the helps, the deacons, the leaders, and so we believe God has shown us, and today we would like to announce to you that the Lord has shown us our next deacon, and that person is Karina 
Mendiola. Can you please stand up? searched your heart but what we have seen is you have been faithful you have been faithful not just to your ministry task but you've been faithful to your leaders to your pastors you have carried a humble spirit in every sense of the way you have journeyed for the past several years and it has not been without your own trials your own personal hardships. But we believe that the Lord has shown you to us and more than it is our choosing, which we approve, but who cares? We feel the Lord has found you faithful. And look, and more than us trusting you with the church, we feel the Lord trusts you with the church. And so you have done a phenomenal job, and I don't mean to speak on behalf of all of your youth, let them tell you, but you've done a phenomenal job working. The difficult task of youth and young adults ministry, we made that no easy task either by giving you parameters and giving you focused things and you had to submit in between here and in between there. And then we made changes and said, no, now do this, now do that. In the midst of all of that, you have carried yourself well, person of integrity, heart of service to the church and to your leaders. And so it is with great joy that we feel we have received the revelation uh, that we can trust you as God is trusting you. And so, job well done, Karina. Job well done. Now, Karina is going to go on a sabbatical, a, a time of rest, a, leave, a little bit. doesn't mean that she won't be here, but she'll be resting from her ministry responsibilities. And so she has put people in place. There's other leaders. Um, and so she's going to go on a month rest. And when she comes back, um, she'll be back on June 15th, which is a Thursday youth service. Uh, the Sunday, the 18th, will be the ordination for her will be the ordination for her and her deaconship. So we want her to enjoy her rest before she enters into the service of deacon. But now here's the thing, Karina, you can have a seat now. In order for her, now, in order for her to be used to the capacity of what we envision for a deacon of, we want to trust her with more. We want to trust her to care for the greater or overall needs of the church. When I say greater, I don't mean more important than the youth ministry. I mean greater and want to use her to a uh, fuller capacity. This is kind of what Paul also meant when he used the word greater, and we'll talk about that next time. But in that same sense, in order to use her for greater, for greater use of the church, we also have felt from the Lord that we cannot then bind her <laughs> to youth ministry. 
And so, look, in order to loose her to serve as a deacon, we have to release her bind to the youth ministry. Now, I told you guys that today was going to be a special announcement because in order to move her there, we feel the wisdom from the Lord is to take her out from the, leading the youth ministry. All the youth right now are like... And so we too feel just as God showed her to us to be able to serve to the greater capacity of the overall church, it's to take her out. Therefore, someone needs to be placed in as a youth leader. So today I told you there was a double announcement, a new deacon and a new leadership opportunity for someone. So today, TDP, TDP Youth and Young Adults Ministry, uh, maybe more especially, we would like to announce to you your new youth leader. And that is Brother David Mosquera. David, in the same way, only God has searched your heart. Only God has searched your heart. But what we have seen is that you two have been found faithful. Faithful in your responsibilities as a worship team leader, faithful in supporting aid to the church. Um, only you and I know how many times you offered your help to me personally, and only certain people know how many times you offered your help to them. You too have been found faithful to care for this church, to care not just for the building, the structure, which you have also, but your care for relationships. And that matters here. We feel the Lord has shown us you to be entrusted with the care for our incredible youth and young adults. And we believe, and you'll know what I mean when I say this, that you are an answered prayer. May you never forget those words. And as we give this opportunity to you, we want the church to know that David has a wife and her name's Elizabeth. have been found faithful. Only the Lord knows your heart as well. And only the Lord knows your journey as husband and wife, as parents, as Christians, as being part of the Dwelling Place Church. It has not come also without its fair share of challenges and hardships. But you have been found faithful. And so as David leads, comes into the leadership of the youth, we want the youth and we want the church to know that his wife stands by his side and as he leads, she leads alongside with him. Amen? And so we're excited for the journey that is ahead. And we're just trusting the Lord. 
TDP Church, you may be seated. We are trusting the Lord. We're trusting the Lord. So what happens next when Karina comes will be the ordination of her deaconship on that Sunday. But that Thursday, she will come and she will be preaching her final message in an encounter night to the youth. Uh, and there we can do a transition for David. And uh, as we pray for her and ordain her on Sunday, we'll also then the church will pray for David on that Sunday, the 18th. And that means then the following Thursday, we're in our new roles and our new responsibilities. And may the Lord, look, continue to guide and lead us. How many people are still excited? I'm so excited for all that the Lord is doing. Don't forget the title. The Resurrection of His Church. It's not about just one of us. But it's about all of us. When Jesus envisioned resurrecting me from my state of death, he was also thinking of every single one of us. When he thought of you, he was thinking of all of us. And look, he knew our worlds would collide. He knew that we would all be here at the same time. And so look, the resurrection is not mine alone. It's not David's alone. It's not Karina's alone. It's not Pastor Tyne's. It's all of ours together. And so may we go forward in the resurrection as a church. What is, what is the word church mean. I'll leave you with this. In Greek, it's the word ekklesia. And so it has to do with called out ones, those responding, but like not just being, not just being called out and like everyone being called out and just running on their own. No, it's called out ones who become a gathering, an assembly. So the blessing it's not just on anyone as an individual. The blessing for Christ to build his church, it's us. It's our assembly. And so when we do that, I truly know, when we do so in unity, it is better. We're stronger. And that is the picture of a resurrection. Amen? Now let's pray to conclude. Thank you so much for your time on this Mother's Day. What a day to celebrate mothers and to celebrate all that has taken place in the life of our church. If there is someone in here today that has never trusted in the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior, today we pray that you were able to hear and that the gospel came through. What is that gospel message that the apostles had? The responsibility that Christ died for, excuse me, our sin. He died for your sin. The scriptures go on to tell us that we cannot pay for sin and that salvation is a free gift that comes only through Christ by faith. And look, when we put our faith in the Lord and we repent of our sin, we are what the Bible would describe as we're born again. We're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And look, in that confession, Christ can build you up. And then look, you become part of the church that he is building up. So if you're in here today, I want to invite you to trust the Lord. Let us bow our heads and pray.
Lord, if there's someone here today in this room that had, up until this moment had yet to put their faith or their trust in you, Lord, had up until this moment had not repented of their sin, Lord, Father, today may they turn their hearts over to you. May you give them insight right now, Lord, as to their human failures, their human weaknesses, as we all have. And may they come to an understanding of their great need for you, Lord. Father, may they today, by faith, put their faith and trust in the message of Jesus Christ, that he was crucified, died, shed blood for our sin, but on the third day rose again, so that we too can have a resurrection a resurrection in this lifetime and in the promise of eternity to come. Today, may you wipe away their sin. May the comfort of your love wipe away their shame. Your word also tells us for those that are in Christ Jesus that there is no condemnation. May condemnation right now as they put their faith in you, may you wipe away the condemnation. Father, give them the gift of your spirit, Lord, which your word promises to give to everyone that would trust. And begin to make them new from the inside out, Lord. And may that spirit, that is the same spirit that lives in all of us, Lord God, make a draw a drawing to one another. May they know that they have a family in you and with us, Lord. Help us be the church that receives those that are putting their faith and trust in the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for that confession of faith today, that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And then I pray today now for those that are in Christ, Lord. May today's words, your spirit, strengthen. Edification, Lord, and renewal, Lord. Father, as we dismiss to celebrate today, Lord, as we close, Lord, may we leave this place, Lord, but be one in you, and one with one another. Father, we thank you. We celebrate you and we honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.